Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. So one of the things, I'm not sure why that came out, but <clears throat> the Lord brought it to me. And then, and then he brought, um, Reverend Waples was talking last night about the uh, kingdom. And I had just, I'm going to recommend a book. <laughs> I'm the bookseller of this church here. It's called Rediscovering the Kingdom by Miles Monroe. This book opened my eyes to what a kingdom is. Now, part of our problem as a Western culture is that we are, well, as he was saying last night, I'm an American, I'm going to do it my way, and you just suck it up, buttercup. But the thing is, we are in a kingdom. And that's the thing we have to learn. See, part of this thing about being ignorant or stupid has to do with what's going on in our country today. So people are ignorant of our government. You know, there's a lot of people. I mean, you'll hear it from the school system from first grade through the time you graduate high school and on into college. We are a democracy. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not a democracy. If you want communism, that's the first step towards it. We're not a democratic republic. We are a constitutional republic. But because we, the people who are in charge of our school boards, remember the gentleman that's talking last week of how important it is who we vote into our school boards? Because of what they're allowing in, our kids are being taught that we are a democracy and the group rule matters. Okay. Now, if we translate that to kingdom theology, we don't understand that. We got to vote, right? You want to see a church break up fast? Give the congregation a vote. Do it. Vote. 51% say, well, we don't like the pastor. 52% say, well, we want that pastor because he looks better, smells better, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it, it, part, part of the instruction of the word is that God has set the members. We heard that last night. God has set the members. And those members, I will get to teaching in a minute. Those, <laughs> those members are set there by the chief shepherd. Now, the chief shepherd sets the under shepherd. Right? So what is our job then? To be good sheep. Uh, and you know what? As Americans, we don't like that. I was not taught and raised to be a sheep. I wasn't. I was taught to be an American. You stand proud. You, 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 know, you have your rights, by golly. But in a church under the living God, he has set the members through the chief shepherd. Chief shepherd has set the under shepherds, and it says that he has set the members. That doesn't mean he said, well, I want you to come to this church. He will draw you to a church that's preaching the word, but the members are set in order for the furtherance of the gospel. That's what we're here for. So, Satan's most powerful weapon is ignorance. But to use it, he must first destroy or destroy, distort true knowledge. He rules his kingdom of darkness by keeping his subjects in the dark, in ignorance. Well, God caused that. 
you know, you're so righteous, you have the right to complain about that. You really need to go talk to the pastor and tell him what he needs to be preaching about. You know, these things come up, they're ignorance, because we don't understand where we are. And the devil loves that. He loves to keep you in ignorance. That is why it's so important that we understand the Bible. That's why it's so important that we understand kingdom. That's why it's so important that we understand theology, which is just the study of the nature of God as revealed by his scriptures. So, I got that off my chest. (laughs) Uh, Last week, we learned that theology is just the study of nature of God as revealed in his holy scripture. We also learned that predestination in the primary context of God's word. And this week, we're going to look at propitiation and reconciliation. I'd like you to turn to 1 John 2, 2. And this ties propitiation into predestination. 1 John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God didn't leave anybody out. You are predestined to know Christ. So propitiation, excuse me. The the definition of propitiation is the mercy seat. But the meaning of the word is satisfaction. Josh, do you have that slide by any chance? So when animals were sacrificed unto God, it was a temporary satisfaction. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies to offer that sacrifice that satisfied God for a season. And it had to be done annually. And it's coming. I can see it. They're looking. (laughs) But the interesting thing about the mercy seat, ah, there it is. So the Ark of the Covenant, and you'll see up there the cherubim facing each other. And the top of that is the mercy seat. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had some interesting things about it. Inside the Ark of Covenant, so it's wood on the, uh, the inside wrapped by gold. On the inside of the Ark of the Covenant were three items. One was the jar of manna, the food that the Jews despised. God's provision that man despised. Then there also is the rod of Aaron. And if you look back in Scripture, you'll see that God caused Aaron's rod to bud to show that that is the man that I chose to be the head of the Levites, to be the priesthood of the Jewish nation. And the Jews despised him. And you'll see in there, they also had the uh, stone tablets of the commandments the laws of God that they despised. You understand, everything that's inside that are things that man despised and despises today. You know, you think about it, you get this this job, and, I mean, we're seeing a lot of it today where, where we see people get a job, they get a good job, but they don't like the work. They don't like the hours. They can't see to the future that maybe there's promotion coming. 
that maybe that this is a place where he can minister to someone. No, I just don't want to pack the mail. No, I just don't want to work in the concrete. No, I don't want to pound nails. No, I don't want to be out in the heat. They despise. They despise the food that God brings. Have you ever noticed in a restaurant how much food gets thrown away? You know, in this country? Other countries, they fight over those scraps. But we despise it. That's too much. I really don't like the taste. And we despise the priesthood. We do. We often look at the priesthood and we look at them as just as men or just as women. We don't look at them as people who are anointed by the Holy Ghost to bring a message of hope, to bring correction. You know, how many of us people like correction? Uh, you know, I hope you all raise your hand. Because if you don't like correction, God doesn't like you. <laughs> no, he loves you. But he corrects those whom he loves. So, let's go to Exodus 25. Way over to the left. 25 and verse 17. So, this is a description of the ark. And uh, 17, verse 17 through 22 says, And you shall make a mercy seat, a covering of pure gold, two cubits and a half long and a cubit and a half wide. And you shall make two cherubim, winged angels, of solid hammered gold to the end, at the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on each end. So he's describing some things here as he goes down. And 21, verse 21 says, You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony of the Ten Commandments that I will give you. And there will meet you with you, and from above the mercy seat. This is the part that's, that's good. And there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, and between the two cherubim that are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak intimately with you of all which I give you in commandments to the Israelites. So when the, uh, when the uh, high priest went in there, he poured incense, a lot of smoke and incense, because he couldn't look at the glory of God. And the glory of God was sitting above the cherubim. And he would come in and he would place the blood on that mercy seat between the cherubim. And it's like the cherubim were witnessing this act. And he would lay that down. And he had to do it just right. He had to be righteous in himself. He had to be, you know, wear the right stuff, be clean, make sure he was holy, make sure that he had offered his sacrifices, all these things, before he could ever enter into that place to do that for the children of Israel. And the shed blood was placed on there from, from those lambs and the bulls. Let's go to Hebrews 10. In verses 3 through 14, he says, But as it is, and this is in the Amplified, these sacrifices annually bring a fresh remembrance of the sins to be atoned for, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to make sins go away. Hence, 
When he, Christ, entered into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but instead you've made us already a body for me to offer. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no delight. Then I said, now you understand, he, he didn't take delight in these sin offerings, but what he was doing in there is he was showing the Israelites, you are sinful and you need to come before me every year. So it was more of a reminder for us than for him. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no delight. Then I said, behold, here I am, coming to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the volume of the book. When he said just before, you have neither desired nor have you taken delight in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, all of which are offered according to the law, he then went on to say, behold, here I am, coming to do your will. Thus does he take away, does, thus he does away with the animals and the first and former means, a means of expiating sin, so that he might inaugurate and establish the second order. And in accordance with his will of God, we have been made holy, consecrated, sanctified through the offering made once and for all by the body of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So in verse 10, when Jesus went before the Father after he was sacrificed. I always, I always got kind of a charge out of people who looked at Jews and they called them the Christ killers. I mean, they had their part, but the Gentiles killed him. So you can't ever say that we had no part in it. We did our part with them. He went up there in that mercy seat and he says, Furthermore, every human priest stands at the altar ministering daily. Well, he went up there once. He got before the Father, and there is a mercy seat that is similar to that in heaven because we understand that God designed things for us in accordance with what's in heaven. And Jesus went on there, and he laid his blood on that mercy seat. And that blood speaks of better things. And that blood satisfied God. I mean, how many of you have really been just satisfied with something? You know, you, you finished a job and you were satisfied, or you got that drink of cold water and satisfied your thirst. And we know that that's just temporary for us because we're going to get thirsty again, and there's going to be another project to do. But when Jesus laid that down, laid his blood, his precious blood down there that speaks of better things, that was permanent. It's done. God is satisfied with us now. Do you understand that, being satisfied? I mean, how often were you satisfied with your kids? And how long did that last? <laughs> Until you're satisfied again. God doesn't see us that way. He is satisfied permanently with us because of what is done. He looks through the blood and sees us. And he says it's holy and consecrated. Propitiation, that satisfaction, is an interesting thing because, you know, it I had to do reconciliation with this because they're so close together. You know, when you reconcile your, your checkbook, you know, you're kind of satisfied for a minute. And then you add that next check. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> call the bank. But... The satisfaction for him, and I think we have to take, this is part of being ignorant 
of the love of God. He is satisfied with you. He's satisfied with us. We don't have anything to prove to him anymore. We are perfect before him because of the blood that was shed on that cross that was laid upon that mercy seat. If you're born again, God loves you. He loves you anyway, but God is satisfied. He is satisfied with everything. We are his children. Let's go to 1 John 4.10. So it says here, in this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us so very much, we ought to love one another. Satisfied. Satisfied. I... It's a word that I think sometimes escapes humans. Because, you know, one of the things we always do, we're always reaching. I want more money. I want more position. I want more friends. I want less friends. I, um, but we're always reaching for something. We are never truly satisfied. You know... You can, a person could be up here and preach the best message of their life and they wouldn't be satisfied because there's another Sunday coming and I got to do better. I'm not satisfied. Did I do right? I mean, I go before the Father after some of these things and I say, Lord, did I honestly bring your word? Sometimes he says, you're close. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm, you know, I, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. And so my satisfaction is temporary. But I'm so thankful he's satisfied through Jesus in me. Thank you, Father. So through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, God's demand has been satisfied. And through this, God has been reconciled unto us. So reconciliation, the word for that is katalasso. And I'm sure I pronounced that perfectly. Which, which means, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the procurement of peace between two warring parties. Reconciliation is synonymous with peace. That kind of gets back to that balance in your checkbook. You know, you feel pretty peaceful when, I know my wife does. She sits there and she gets down to the penny. I say, look, honey, it's just a penny. It's just a penny. No, that penny is in here, and she'll spend $500 worth of labor on that thing <laughs> to find that penny. <laughs> She's my accountant. But that, that satisfaction of things lining up, that reconciliation, I reconciled this. You know, when you've ever been, like you've had a close friend, and, and something blows up, you know, how we are. We say something at the wrong time, the wrong way, and your friend, and you, want, and you have this, you're missing something. You know, you're missing, you're missing that fellowship. And you finally get to that place, and, and you go, Mike, what, 
what was it? What did I say? And Mike says, well, you said this. And I said, oh, Mike, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Yeah, I can forgive you. We become reconciled. Now he and I have fellowship at the dinner table over coffee, and we don't have this thing between us. You know, it's like if we attended the same church and had something wrong, I said, oh, there's Mike. <clears throat> Mike's going, there's Rick. <laughs> no, if we're reconciled, then I walk up to Mike and say, Mike, I love you, man. This is good. I'm so good to have you here. I just love you so much. So reconciliation is really important. The interesting thing about reconciliation also is that a lot of people look at reconciliation I found this from some of this reading that I've done. They, f they thought that reconciliation meant that we're all reconciled. The world is reconciled. That gets into that greasy grace thing. I can do what I want because I've been reconciled. Well, when Jesus went up there to reconcile, he reconciled God unto us. That part is done. In order for us to be reconciled to God, we have to accept that reconciliation. Now, this is going to get back a little bit into kingdom. Um, <clears throat> it takes a little sidetrack here. I may have gotten a little out of line, but Lord, help me. You know that the word Christian, God never preached Christianity, or Jesus never preached Christianity. The disciples never preached Christianity. Do you know that Christianity is a human construct? It was actually used by pagan believers to mock Christians. And then we've just worn it as a badge. I'm a Christian. Interesting thing, the Bible refers to man's relationship to God with these phrases. Servants. Which is another word for representative minister. As a government minister. Saints, ambassadors, sons of God, citizens of heaven, kings, God's workmanship, children of God, and other terms of endearment, but not officially are they referred to as Christians. Christianity was never a term given to us by Jesus Christ or the apostles. Actually, the word Christian is only used twice in the New Testament, once in Acts, and I think the other one's in Corinthians. So only two times it's mentioned, the word Christians. See, too often we, in our ignorance, we think because we're Christians, all is well. No. No. You have a ministry of reconciliation. You're a minister. You understand that? You have a ministry of reconciliation. We are here taking the word of God of that propitiation that reconciliation with God, and we're bringing it to the world to reconcile the people of the world to God. That's your job. That is our job. Not one of you is exempt from that job. Every one of you has that job. No, not me. I'm just a, I'm just a housewife. Not me. I'm just a mail carrier. Not me. I'm retired. I haven't found retirement in the gospel either. <laughs> yeah. I think the best retirement I saw is when Jacob blessed his children 
laid down in bed, pulled the cover over him, and he was there. It's a good retirement. So part of kingdom theology then, in these terms of propitiation and reconciliation, because see, God, when he... You know, Eden was an inter- We were talking about this the other night. Eden is kind of an interesting deal. You know, Eden was in this place, right? We have a physical description of where Eden was, right? And when man got booted out, God didn't curse the ground outside of Eden. It was already there. So when he left Eden, he walked into the thorns that were there and the hot sun and the labor and the sweat of the brow. But, you know, Eden was supposed to be God's kingdom on earth. And we were supposed to be rulers of this earth. And Eden was supposed to grow over the earth. And then Adam messed up. And what did Adam do? Well, she didn't die. I guess I can eat the apple or whatever it is. I know one guy said it had to be a persimmon because he didn't like apples. <laughs> but the thing is, he ate the fruit, and he, instead of, and I, and I know I've, met, I've done this before, and we've talked about this before, but man and woman's eyes were not open to the sin or to what that apple represented, that fruit represented, until Adam ate. And then their eyes were open. So he gave up his kingship. He gave it up. And he made a decision, a conscious decision, because he didn't see anything happen immediately. So instead of taking his wife, going to the father and saying, Lord, forgive us, and wiping it away, because that, that was there. It was, it was there. It was that close. He says, well, this isn't so bad. I guess I can take a bite. And he did. And he created high treason. And for that, everybody knows what the penalty for high treason is. Death. And so when people have said that God cursed, or uh, who's that guy, Adam? (laughs) Said he cursed Adam. He didn't curse Adam. He just told him, now that you're out here, you're going to be working under the curse. And so when he fell and stepped outside, you know the interesting thing in the Old Testament, you won't see the Old Testament talk much about the devil. You'll see a lot of things where they say, well, God did this, God did that, God killed that person, God killed that person. And we as Christians have come into today and said, well, maybe God did kill that person. We've forgotten that there is a devil again. Ignorance, ignorance. You are a king. Do not ever forget that. Let's go to First Colossians. First Colossians. Other Colossians. Let's go to Colossians. <laughs> you get a lot of firsts in here. You know, it was an interesting side note. Some pastor once said that there's actually three letters to the Corinthians, but the first one got lost. 
Well, if you think about it, in 1 Corinthians, Paul was writing to answer a letter from the Corinthians. I'd like to hear what that first letter said. <laughs> All right, where's that at? Colossians 1 and 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And yet you were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Verse 23 is the catchphrase. If. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister. So this is where ignorance comes in. This is where the devil uses his ways of getting us to look at things in a worldly, earthly manner. I don't give him any credit because he's pretty stupid. Um, there's, you know, a lot of people think he's really smart and everything like that, but if he was so smart, he'd still be playing harp in heaven, you know, if he was really smart. Thing is, he's not, people have given him way too much power. The only, you know, you can take a fairly weak person, and he can be in a room of strong men, and he can start a rumor. And he can start a little. And when you think about it, that's all the devil is. He's just a little guy in a room of giants. But he'll get a hold of somebody and start whispering in their ear. Hath not God said? Wow. That pastor really kind of got off there, didn't he? Wow. You were corrected kind of harshly. Wow. And see, he doesn't have to go throwing... Those are the darts. Do you understand what that shield of faith? The shield of faith that says stop the fiery darts of the wicked one. What are they? They're words. He is not throwing sickness and disease at you. He's not throwing armies at you. He's throwing words. You're worthless. You messed up. You can't come back from that. You're weak. And we, because of ignorance or stupidity, accept what he has to say, and we turn away from this. You understand, you know, when I was saying earlier about that we are a constitutional republic, if you don't know what that is, you need to study it out because it's very important. But this is our constitution. Now, when I was talking about the bride uh, a few months back, this was our contract. You understand that a contract and a constitution are both the same thing. They're legal documents that give you certain rights. This is our constitution. We're free. We're free from torment. We're free. I wish I could tell you more about that, but we're free. So... In, in the book, Theology Simplified, uh, Bob Yandian talked about uh, some Japanese soldiers that were caught 
well after the war. So I looked it up online because I'd read this before. And over three decades after um, the war was ended, after they signed the, actually what they signed is a reconciliation. You know, they did. They signed a surrender, but there's a reconciliation. Because we spent a lot of money in Japan over the years after that. Over the next three decades, 114 stragglers surrendered. The rest had been killed. Sergeant Yokoi, the last straggler, was found on January 24, 1972. He'd been fighting World War II for probably over 30 years, because, I mean, it, actually, when they went into China, it was in the 30s. He was fighting that war that was over with 26 years before. And, you know, we end up fighting a war that we think God is mad at us because we're ignorant. I don't, I don't like to be ignorant because when I say things at men's breakfast like it was right for Deborah to lead the army and the pastor's raising his hand like... <laughs> <laughs> I misspoke. I caught myself. <laughs> but, you know, we, we do things in ignorance out of good measure. You know, that it's kind of, I want to feel good about myself. I want you to feel good about me. So if I want that, do I just let you sin? Do you just let me sin? Do you let me make mistakes? I mean, Pastor Sean was quick to get that hand up, and I don't blame him. If I had not caught myself, I would have said it was right that Deborah led the army of Israel into that battle and won. And I'm hopeful some of the guys would have caught that and says, man, that guy's really dumb. But the thing is, something like that can go out there, and then somebody will say, well, well you know, Deborah led, yeah, that's great. No, the king was supposed to. Deborah was telling him, you need to lead your people. Get off that. We know that. <laughs> but if I wasn't corrected, then I would, if, if I was leading down that path, what, what could I do in my position? Because you guys don't want to hurt my feelings. Well, we just won't bring it up to Rick that he was dumb. We won't bring it up that he made a mistake. Man, I hope you guys are willing to correct me. I'm getting more willing to correct you. <laughs> <laughs> so there. <laughs> but it, it, it's important because in our, in our kingdom responsibility that God has set the members... I feel like maybe I've kind of straggled a little bit here, but through the propitiation and reconciliation, God has set the members in the body as it pleases him, not as it pleases you. We are in a kingdom under a king. He sets the under-shepherd. We submit to the under-shepherd. And the under-shepherd, as led by the Holy Ghost, puts us in different places of ministry. Problem is, too many of us think we're volunteers. 
You're not. You are in the army of God. You are a servant as declared by the scriptures. You are an ambassador as declared by the scriptures. You are a king as declared by the scriptures. Those are not passive programs. We are not to be passive people. We are to be workers doing the work of the Lord who sent us to do those works. I don't care if it's in children's church. I don't care if it's vacuuming the carpet. We do. We don't volunteer. If you think you're a volunteer, you're ignorant. God never called you. If you can find that in here, I'm with you. But you'll have to find it for me where he says you volunteer. Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, 5. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 17. So in the Amplified, it says, Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old and previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new, excuse me, has come. But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, excuse me, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. There's your job. I don't care if you're a servant. I don't care if you're a king. I don't care if you're out there in children's church. I don't care if you're in youth ministry. I don't care if you're, if you're a youth. There's your ministry. Ministry of reconciliation. How are you going to do it? Ask God. He'll show you. He'll put you in that place. That by word and deed, by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them. Canceled. Your sins are canceled. Cancel check, buddy. The committing and committing to us, committing to us the message of reconciliation, of restoration to favor. Now I'm going to read something out of this book, Theology Simplified. I try not to plagiarize too many notes out of it. Don't want to do that. But there's good stuff in here. You are ambassadors. I'm an ambassador. An ambassador is a high-ranking minister of the state, chosen of royalty, sent to another state to represent his own country. Whose country are you from? The country of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. An ambassador does not appoint himself. An ambassador is not a citizen of the country he is in, but of the country he is from. Remember, he calls us aliens. We're aliens in this country. Here's a good one. An ambassador does not support himself. The Ark of the Covenant 
all those things that God provided that were despised. He was providing for them. Even when they were in sin and wandering in the desert, their feet didn't swell, their shoes didn't wear out, clothes didn't wear out. They had food, and they won every battle. An ambassador's instructions are always in written form so that he has no doubt as to what he should do. The only way the world or Satan can deceive us is when we are ignorant of our rights. Ambassadors do not live off the laws of the country they are in, but the laws of the country they are from. We live off heaven's laws. You need provision, live off heaven's provision. You need justification, live off heaven's justification. We're obliged to honor the laws of this, of this country. We are. And I'm talking about spiritual laws of this, I mean, the, the laws of this country. But our laws that we are submitted to are the laws of heaven. And if we do that right, then we can honor these laws properly in this country. But the interesting thing is, in case he is free from prosecution, he <laughs> an ambassador is obliged to honor the laws of his home over the country he is in. In this case, he is free from prosecution. He can claim diplomatic immunity. The devil's bringing charges against you. Nope, diplomatic immunity. Number seven. An ambassador does not live in a country for his own personal interests. We're here for the interests of the Father. Interesting thing, those of you that are wondering about the uh, coming Armageddon and everything. When one nation declares war on another nation, the first ones removed are the ambassadors. <laughs> Amen. We get a ringside seat, but it says you never bomb your ambassadors with the enemy. Ambassadors, good ones and bad ones, are brought back and dealt with at home. This book opened my eyes to kingdom living. And I read this many years ago, and the Lord brought it back to me again to read again as I was studying about propitiation and I was wondering how did it all work without God's satisfaction without him being satisfied by the blood of Jesus and without Jesus atoning message of reconciliation reconciling God to us and then us to him we don't have a kingdom no we do but it's a kingdom of darkness so as I looked at this, it was like, oh, to begin, to begin to live this life. I saw this, I mean, I read this, I highlighted it, and the Lord just opened it up to me. The greatest tragedy in life is not death. It is life without a purpose. You are ambassadors, you are kings, you are priests. You have a constitution. You have a contract. We need to take this contract and act on it. Act on your rights as a citizen of heaven. Act on your rights as a child of the king. 
royalty. You are royalty. You may not seem like it. You may not feel like it. You are royalty. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com. 